Amen. Praise God. Welcome to everyone this evening, and especially if you are a guest with us tonight. We're glad to have you in service with us. If you're watching us online, we welcome you wherever you may be watching from. And now that we have done all of that necessary, important stuff, I want them, you can start from the top or take it from the bridge or whatever you want to do. But I, I want us, I, I want you to, I, I really, I feel like I have a, a word from God this evening. Um, it's not a deep revelatory word, but I, I really feel like I have a word from God. And, and this song uh, really, really fits with that. So I want to ask you as we, uh, as they lead us in it again, would you just, uh, not simply as a filler or whatever, but, but would you re-engage your mind, your spirit, your heart, because I, I really believe God wants to say and do something here uh, this evening in, in connection with what has been said already, that we are in a shift, that God is doing something and going to be doing something. So how about if you're willing to, if you don't have to, if you don't want to, but if you're willing to, why don't you stand? Why don't you just close your eyes, lift your hands, begin to get your mind, your spirit re-engaged right now. Hallelujah. In the name of
time through, and I'm probably just as tired as you guys, but I wonder if we could just give our all one more time. I know it's really hard. We're in seats. It's really hard to jump. It's really hard to move all the things that we're used to, but it still gets me excited every time we sing it, because you can feel the faith begin to rise, and so I wonder if one more time, I know breakthrough is coming by faith.
I'm going to, I said I felt like I had a word from God. I'm going to, I'm going to restate that or rephrase that. I believe I have a declaration to make here this evening. And I know I, it, this morning felt a little bit off. And to be honest, tonight's kind of been a little bit of the same. There've been, we, we bumped a little bit of a breakthrough, but I, I said to someone this, I said, I think to brother Isaac, brother Barr this morning, I'm a little bit surprised after the week of prayer we had, and then I went, oh, wait a minute, actually, I'm not surprised after the week of prayer we had. The enemy doesn't just sit down and roll over, and uh, so that's all right, because we're not doing this based on what we feel or don't feel. We're doing it based on what we know, what the Word of God said, both the written Word and a rhema that we may have received. So I'm going to, I've given these to the sound booth, the media team, to try to hopefully help them. Um, I, I don't know how quickly they'll be able to keep up, so um, I'm about to read a whole bunch of verses, and the, and the challenge is going to be, it's going to be one verse, and then another chapter, and another verse, and then another chapter. So that's part of the reason why, if I was reading a bunch in the same place, it'd be a lot easier. So... Matthew 28 and verse number 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Mark 16 and 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Luke twenty four fifty three, And were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. John 21, 25, And there are also, and there are also many other things which Jesus did. The which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Romans sixteen twenty seven. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. 1 Corinthians sixteen twenty four. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Second Corinthians 13 and 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Galatians 6.18. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Ephesians 6.24. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Philippians 4.23, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Colossians 4.18, The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 5.28, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. 2 Thessalonians 3.18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. 1 Timothy 6.21, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. 
Amen. 2 Timothy 4.22 The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Titus 3.15 All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Philemon verse 25 The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Hebrews 13:25 Grace be with you all. Amen. 1 Peter 5:14 Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. We'll pass on that one. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. 2 Peter 3:16 But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. 1 John 5:21 Little children keep yourself from idols. Amen. 2 John 13 The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. Jude verse 25 To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. Revelation 22 and 21 The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. What you may not know is that what I have just read to you, those verses are the last verse of every book that I just read to you. It is the very last book, or excuse me, the very last verse of all of those books. Now I take you to Acts 28 and verse number 30. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. What you may not know is I just read to you the last two verses of the book of Acts. Can anyone tell me what we read in all of those other verses that we did not just read in this verse. Besides the book of Acts, I believe it's two other books, if I'm not mistaken, where you will not find the word amen at the end of the book. Besides those two books, you find at the end of the book of Acts, there is no Amen. Because the word amen has several different meanings. It is a, it is an expression of agreement. It is an expression of faith. If I say to you, God has the power to do anything, that'd be a really good time to say. Because amen is an, it's an expression of your agreement with what has been said. But there's also another connotation to the word amen. And the best way I know to put it is the word amen can also be like a period. It indicates an ending point. It indicates a stopping point. And so at the end of the four gospels, at most of the end, at the end of most of the epistles, and at the end of the very last book of the Bible, we find an amen. But when we read Acts 28 and verse number 31, there is no amen. There's no Acts 29 in your Bible, but there's an Acts 29. 
There's no Acts 30 in your Bible, but there's an Acts 30. There's no Acts 31, but there's an Acts 31. There, there's no Acts 100, but there's probably an Acts 100. Because the book of Acts, unlike the rest of those books, was to be continued. That's my title tonight, to be continued. It wasn't intended to have an amen to say, we have reached the conclusion of this. The end of the book of Acts was really just a beginning because it was intended to be continued. And I've come to declare to this congregation tonight that I believe a part of the shift that we are entering into is we're about to see a fresh demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost, of the supernatural working of the Spirit of God because it's to be continued. There was no amen that it was over with. There was no amen to say we have completed this chapter. There was no amen because it was supposed to keep going. I know some of you may not do this. Some of you may actually have a conviction against it, and I respect that, and don't judge me for a lack thereof. But I've, I've had some... TV shows that I've kept up with on my computer. I don't like watching it live. I just don't like that. Too much commercials. and There's still commercials if you watch it on your computer, but they're usually a lot quicker, shorter. But there's some shows, Sister Gross, you get to the end of it, and you realize there's 45 minutes in this show. And we're at the 40-minute mark. And there's a whole bunch of answered questions, unanswered questions. There's a whole bunch of loose ends that haven't been tied up yet. And so you begin to think, are they in these last five minutes going to wrap everything up and answer all of those questions? Or are we about to see come across the screen to be continued dot, dot, dot. When Paul finished his course, when Paul said it's now time for me to go, there was not the end. The credits didn't start playing and saying the end. It just simply said to be continued. Because when I go to the book of Hebrews and I read chapter 11, after I read of all of the heroes of faith in Scripture, the Bible says that they didn't receive everything because God had provided something better. And it says that they without us should not be made perfect. I preached it before and I'm going to preach it again this evening. God's got to help us. We've got to get ourselves out of this poor me mentality. And we've got to get ourselves out of this idea that we're just a bunch of leftovers that are hanging on until Jesus comes. We're the only, we're the ones that God decided. I I don't know where to put you, so I'll just stick you in at the end. I've come to tell somebody tonight, the fact that you're sitting where you are, the fact that you're experienced what you've experienced is because God is saying, I've already done a whole lot, but that is not going to be complete until I do what I'm going to do now. I've preached it a lot of times, what I just quoted, and it's one of my favorite things to get to preach whenever usually it just happens to slip in like it did this evening. It wasn't in my notes. But you... 
you, uh, I, I've always, or I, always, I say always for a long time now, probably going back, to, I'd say to my 20s, I, I always, whenever the Olympics, Summer Olympics would come around, I never ran track, ACS, Antioch Christian School didn't have a track team, and even if they would have had one, I wouldn't have run because I was too slow to run sprints, and I hated running to learn long distance, so it wouldn't have mattered anyway. But I, I've, I've been intrigued for a long time now about particularly the 4 by 100 meter relay race. There's some other relay races that get run, but that one. That means there's four guys or four girls, depending whether it's the male or the female event. There's four runners that are running the same race. And, the, and, and there's some challenges with the relay race because it really doesn't matter how good any one runner is. If all four runners don't do their part, you can lose. You can start off and the guy that runs the first leg of the race can be the fastest guy in the world. But if the next three guys are average speed, it's probably not going to mean a whole lot. And then another very unique thing about the relay race is the fact that you have to carry a baton. Most races you run with as little as possible. You don't carry anything. Paul said it, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Paul said it in the next, very next chapter, the second verse, I think it is. Lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. If you're going to run, if you're going to race somebody, you, 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 you get rid of every encumbrance. If, we, if two of us guys went outside after service this evening and we're going to race, I, I probably would take my jacket off, I'd take my tie off, I'd, I'd take everything out of my pockets. I want as minimal amount of weight as possible. But the relay race, if you don't carry the baton, you become disqualified. It doesn't matter how fast you run. If you don't run with the baton, it doesn't matter. And one of the most critical parts of that race is the passing of the baton. This was, I am, I am way off the notes. This was the, I had done, uh, this was not, all I'm trusting is, it, uh, not questioning, I'm, but I'm, this is the Holy Ghost. One of the most critical parts of that race, and that happens three times. I think in their three, first to the second runner, second to the third, third, yeah. Three times that baton has got to be passed. If you drop the baton, you are disqualified. I can't help myself, pastoral moment coming up. There's a lot of folks that are running real fast for Jesus. There's a lot of folks that are running real fast, but you might want to take a second look because some of them decided, you know what, I'm going to run, but I'm going to run without the baton. And the reason is because that's cumbersome. It's restrictive to have to run with the baton. It'd be a lot easier to lay on everything. It's a lot, I'm a lot freer to run that way.
So it's not just about how fast you run. If you're not carrying the baton of truth, if you're not hanging on to the baton, run all you want. You're not going to be qualified. You are disqualified. You've got to run with the baton. That's why at the changing, and I haven't heard the message yet, I heard the gist of what was preached last Sunday morning when I was out of town. But something interesting happens at the transition of every leg. It is not a start and stop each time. The runner that's getting ready to run the next leg of the race is standing in position. And he is watching the runner that is coming with the baton. He's not just wandering around looking at what's going on up in the stands. He's not texting his girlfriend. He's not just shooting the breeze with the other runners. He has got himself positioned because he knows in just a moment that baton is going to be handed to me. And when it's handed to me, I've got to be ready. I'll say something to you young folks. You want to sit around and not be prepared and do nothing and think that what somebody is giving blood, sweat, and tears to they're just going to hand it off to you frivolously. You got another thing coming. When it comes my time to pass the baton, I'm looking for somebody that's got themselves in position and they're waiting on what's coming and they've got themselves ready and they're anticipating the exchange that's about to happen. But then, then something else in that moment is so amazing and this this ties in i believe with what was preached last sunday morning there comes a point when the runner that's getting ready to run the next leg actually starts running before the runner with the baton gets to him and so there becomes this this space where both runners are simultaneously running. And it is not a wrestling match. The guy that's waiting to run next is not waiting to wrestle the baton away from the previous runner because he understands we've got to make a secure handoff. And if I go trying to jerk from him what he hasn't let go of, we may end up dropping what we got to hold on to. So if I'll just get myself into position and do what I'm supposed to be doing at the right moment, that runner is going to realize I can now release what I've been holding on to. And when I release it to you, you're going to get a hold of it and you're going to start running with it. But here's the other part of that to me that fits so much where you and I are tonight. The fourth guy in that race is called the anchor. It's called the anchor. And I don't know if it's the case all the time, but the majority of the time, the anchor is the fastest guy on the team. Oh, uh, you, 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 you ain't hearing me. The anchor is the fastest 
of the four runners. That first runner may have been pretty fast to get them off to a good start. The other two guys may be pretty fast as well, but the fastest runner is the last runner. Said the last runner is the fastest runner. I, I think three or four of you got it, but the rest of you, I don't think apparently you've got it. The last runner is the fastest runner. Because I, I think to me, and I, I don't know, the de- some of you may be knowledgeable with track and field and all that, and this is just my layman's perspective. The reason for that to me is basically this. It's one of two reasons. If we get to the last runner and we're lagging behind in the race, that's the guy that's able to make up the space and get us back ahead. Or if we get to him and we're already winning, look out, it's going to be really ugly because he's about to blow everybody else away. So I say again, God did not leave you and I here as a bunch of leftovers at the end because he had no better option. God purposely placed you and I here as Mordecai said to Esther, for such a time as this. I know most of us don't see ourselves that way. And I'm not preaching about us getting a big head and arrogant and prideful. But at the same time, I've preached it many times before. And I'm just going to preach it again tonight. There has got to be a change of perspective that we are not just a bunch of poor, pitiful Christians that are sitting here hanging on till Jesus comes. I've got it in my notes. I don't know if I'll read it or not. But it says that it shall come to pass in the last. Last days, saith God, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. If that's going to happen, God has to have people for that to happen through. I don't know what the term is today. I know it's probably something else. I don't know. And I'm way beyond the point of having to keep up with the latest lingo. I, I now understand my pet parents way better. Like, oh, we haven't seen them in a minute. Like, I didn't see them 60 seconds ago. Oh, a minute means we haven't seen them in a long time. What? And without fail, just about the time I start to understand the latest term. I don't know who sends out the text, but some kid sends out the text. All right, guys, our parents are catching on. Time for the next one. So I'm stuck with cool, that's good enough. But one of the words we called the guys that weren't any good, they were the scrubs. That's the guys that somehow made it on the team, but they never got in the game. At ACS, we only had basketball most of the time because we only had enough guys for basketball. We didn't have 11 guys, 20, 30 guys, whatever it is to field a football team. We, we struggled to even get nine guys that could play baseball. We could always get five guys that were pretty good, and then you kind of need somebody to scrimmage with in practice. So there was ever guys that they really never got in games, but they at least were a warm body for scrimmaging. 
in the times that games were on the line, when I was playing in high school, when it was coming crunch time, Coach Humphrey didn't look down to the end of the bench at one of the scrubs and say, I want you in the game. Two of the people he looked at was Brother Vernell and me. Although we were usually already in the game. Because at the end, at the critical time, because again, if you're losing, you want the guys and girls in the game that can get you back in the game. And if you're winning, you want the people in the game that can close it out. So either way, if the game's on the line, you want your key players in the game. Folks, if you haven't noticed, we're at the end of the game. If you're paying attention, we're pretty close to the final buzzer. If you haven't noticed, we're down to the last couple of outs. And if we don't come out with the victory, it's all over with. But I've read the back of the book, and I know it may not look like it sometimes, but the outcome has already been determined. Thanks be unto God which giveth us the victory. We are more than conquerors. We sang it, that last song, 2 Corinthians 1.20. What's that line about the promises? What did that say? Promises. How'd that go? Yeah. Gave me a promise and it won't stop now. Gave me a promise and it won't stop now. 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all, somebody say all, air high five the person you don't live with and say all, all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen. That means all of the promises of God are faithful and sure. That means all of the promises of God can be counted on. That means not one word has God spoken. Is God going to let that word return void? The promises are still at work. The promises are still at work. I got an email from Sister Gross Friday, I think that was, in response to the one I had sent out to the church, and she referenced promises in there. Oh, God, I got, I've asked this question many times, and I'm going to ask it again tonight. Anybody tonight got some personal promises? Anybody got some personal promises? Anybody believe that we've got some corporate promises as a congregation? The promises of God in Him are yea and amen. They are so. They will be so because it's to be continued. And for some reason, I don't always, I don't, I'm, let me rephrase that. I don't understand it. I was going to say I don't always understand. I don't understand it. But for some reason, God has chosen for you and I to be a part of the group that is going to be the ones to carry the baton across the line because I know I preached a challenge a couple of Sunday nights ago about the book of Acts and I know I preached a couple of Sunday nights ago I, we may not match up really well right now but I'm also going to tell you tonight that by the time it's over with and God gets done doing what he's going to do and God gets through doing in and through us what he's going to do we're going to match up 
up because again, Hebrews says, they without us are not perfect or complete. Anybody ever gone down to the, to the car dealership? Not, not as a hobby. <laughs> I've gone to Brother Brunel's shop several times now, and he's got some hobbies there. You may bring a hobby into the shop that has no engine. <laughs> but you don't go, if you're looking for a car you need to drive, that you're not looking for a hobby. You don't go down to the dealership and just find one that's sitting there in the dealership that's got no engine, got no wheels, but man, it's got a... Nice looking body style. It's the color you like. I want that one. Why? Because it's not complete. A complete vehicle is one that is fully functioning. A complete vehicle is the one that has all the parts in place and is ready to be driven. God did not create an incomplete church. Jesus Christ did not come to this earth and go through what He went through to build an incomplete church. When He said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, He wasn't talking about a partially finished church. He was talking about a completed church. And that church is one that according to the scripture is going to be without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. It's going to be a glorious church. I've said it now a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. I said it this past Thursday. I I think the other time I said it was two Sunday nights ago. We've gotten so much as the church, and I don't mean this church, I mean the church. We've gotten so much as the church into having to evangelize the saved. People that are supposed to be saved trying to encourage them to stay saved. People that are supposed to be in the church trying to encourage them to stay in the church. You know what that tells me? That tells me somebody has not gotten a glimpse of what it is they're a part of. Somebody has not gotten a glimpse of what God is intending to do. Because when you get a glimpse of that and you believe that that's going to happen, how do you sit around constantly debating, do I want to be in this or not? Do I want to be a part of this or not? When you believe that God is going to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to the power that works within you, if you truly believe that, how do you sit on the fence? How do you not get all in? How do you not make up your mind? I'm not holding anything back. I, I, there, there's, there's some young people here this evening. Some young adults here this evening. The world has got so much stuff going on trying to get your attention. And you don't realize the fact that you have been born and are living in one of the most strategic times in all of history. In all of history. 
Because it's in this time in which you've been born that God is about to do some of the greatest things that He's ever done in all of time. We're not going out of here uh, 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 limping. We're not going out of here hobbling along. We're not going out of here as some group of people that are barely hanging on because there's an no amen. And there's a lot of unfinished promises. And beyond, I've already asked you, some of you said you've got your own promises, and others of us said we believe in the corporate promises. And the bottom line is there are things in this book that are promises that apply to us that supersede all of those promises because those are promises that are written in the Word of God that heaven and earth is going to pass away. But His Word is never going to pass away. I, I, I get it, I get it, I get it. From a natural perspective, what, what kind of message is this to be preaching right now? From a natural perspective, what kind of message is this? That we're in the book of Acts and God's still and going to do even greater. We, 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 we can't even sit together. We got to keep space. We, we can't even let everybody come at the same time. And, and we can't touch each other. We can't lay hands on each other. And we can't dance and run and shout and do all the things that I, I've taught it and preached it a little bit the last couple of weeks. But have you ever paid attention to the, to the climate, <laughs> to the world in which the church was born? The birth of the church on the day of Pentecost and the the book of Acts and the beginning of the New Testament church was not during a time when everything lined up, when everything was perfectly in order. And you, I mean, all you had to do was look at the circumstances and go, boy, this is going to work. It was everything but that. There was opposition. There was persecution. There was little, literal physical persecution. The most, most of us have ever known of persecution is some kind of verbal persecution. But they experienced physical persecution. They experienced having their backs beaten. They experienced being thrown into prison. They experienced having their lives threatened. And some eventually lost their lives. That was the climate in which the church was born. And read the book of Acts. We talk about the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people being filled with the Holy Ghost. If I'm not mistaken, there's at least two other times in the book of Acts where it says at one particular place, multitudes were converted. It wasn't just the day of Pentecost, 3,000, then after that it was just this little trickle. It was the day of Pentecost. And then a couple of other times, there were multitudes because in spite of all of the opposition, the devil could not stop what God had started. In spite of all of the adversity, the enemy had no power to come against what God was going to do. I declare to you tonight not only the promises that apply to the church in general, the church universal. But I declare to you tonight the promises that have been given to this church. Every one of them, God is going to fulfill. God is going to fulfill. 
The question tonight is if God is going to fulfill his promises. That is not the question. God is going to fulfill his promises. There is a question, but here is the question. Who are going, who is going to be the characters? Who is going to be the people in the story as God finishes what he started? And I said it already and I'm going to say it again, not only to you that are sitting here, but those of you that are watching this evening that are a part of us. If you are here at this point in time, I believe that in and of itself is a testimony from God to say, I put you here and I put you here now because I want you to be a part of what I am going to continue and finish. If you know it offhand, help me out here. What is it? Ezekiel 37, where Ezekiel has the vision of the dry bones. I believe it's 37. I'll get there in a minute. Some of you know this passage, but I just. A little while ago, standing here on the platform, I felt like the Lord quickened it to me. Ezekiel 37 and 1, the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. What do bones represent? Something that is dead, something that has died. In fact, If you are looking at bones, that means they've been there a while. In fact, let's read on. And cause me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And lo, they were very dry. That means they've been there a while. The fact that they were not only dry bones, but very dry bones means they've been dead for a while. Oh, Holy Ghost, let some faith rise in this place. They weren't just, it wasn't just corpses. It wasn't people that had just fallen over dead a few moments ago. It was dry, very dry bones. There are some people sitting in this sanctuary right now and there's some people that are watching right now that you've been looking around at some bones and some of you have been looking out some very dry bones. And he said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered (laughs) very safely, oh Lord God, thou knowest. We know how to be really, you know, wise and dignified at the right moment. I'm pretty sure Ezekiel was thinking, no way. (laughs) Absolutely not. But he apparently was also wise enough to know, I better not answer this question. So rather than saying what I really think and feel, oh, Lord, I got a feeling he drugged the O out. Oh, Lord God. Thou knowest. You know, Lord. Again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, Oh, ye... No, he didn't just say prophesy to the bones. 
He said, prophesy to the dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold a shaking and the bones came together bone to his bone. I want you to notice that sequence. I want you to notice that sequence. As I prophesied. As I prophesied. Not before I prophesied. If there had been a noise and a shaking before Ezekiel said anything, it would have been a lot easier to prophesy. But according to that, he had to start prophesying without feeling anything. He had to start prophesying without seeing anything. But as he prophesied, there was a noise and there was a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. And the ankle bone connected to the... And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. You know what we do at that moment? Yeah, it was too good to be true. It looked like something was about to happen. Oh, somebody hear me. It looked like something was about to happen. Bones came together. Skin came on those bones, but then nothing. I knew it. Anybody ever thought this? Maybe you've said it. I got my hopes up again. I believed again what they told me, and it didn't happen again. All of that happened, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto to them. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. 
And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you. And you shall live and I shall place in, place you in your own land. Then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Verse 11 in the DSW translation, Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole congregation of Antioch Central. In the midst of COVID-19, in the midst of adversity, in the midst of, of, of obstacles, in the midst of disappointments from yesterday, in the midst of faith from yesterday that didn't quite pan out the way. This is the congregation of Antioch Central. But you tell Antioch Central, you're I will open your graves and I'm going to cause you to come up out of your graves and I'm going to bring you into the land that I promised I was going to bring you into. And when I do it, all you're going to be able to do is look around and say, look what the Lord has done. Oh, I wish somebody would prophesy to some dry bones in your life tonight. I wish somebody would prophesy to some very dry ministries in your life. I wish somebody would prophesy to some very dry backsliders in your life. I wish somebody would prophesy to some very dry loved ones that have never been saved in your life that you would make up your mind. I'm going to stop looking at what I can see because when I look at what I can see with my natural eyes, the evidence is usually not the real truth. I think it was the Monday night prayer call this past week. If I'm not mistaken, I mentioned this. I think it's where it was. Joseph. His brothers don't like him. His father was already, he was already the favorite of his father. Giving him a coat that separated him from everybody else. Let everybody know he was the special child. And then to top it all off, he gets these dreams. These dreams that basically imply there's coming a point in time where all of you older brothers are going to bow down to me. If you're an older brother and got little brothers, whether they're little in stature or little because of their, my little brother's six foot five. You don't like taking stuff from your little brother. Nobody likes to be beat by their little brother. Any Lewises want to testify to that? Of course, I'm sure you never get beat by them at anything, do you? Is that true? Uh, they say no. He says, yeah. So now he's telling them, I had a dream. Tells them the dream. Seems to me somehow they, they understood at least the basics of what those dreams meant. Joseph gets sent on an errand to go visit his brothers. They see him coming and they realize this is our moment. They throw him in a pit. They sit around and begin to scheme. What are we going to do with him? Apparently none of them really cared for him. I think they really just wanted to kill him. 
But God's divine providence didn't let that happen. A caravan of travelers come along and they sell him. And they take that coat. They take that coat that represented his father's favoritism. And they dip it into blood. They get it stained with the blood of that goat. And they come back home. And all they do, all they do is hand Jacob the coat. Jacob, right? I've done called so many wrong Bible characters the last couple of months. I've got to do so. They hand Jacob the coat. According to what the Scripture says or what it doesn't say, they didn't say anything to Jacob. They never said one word. All they did was simply hand him that bloody coat. And Jacob takes that coat and says, My son has been killed. He's dead. Of course, you know the story, and that wasn't the case. And decades, I think decades later, he finally finds out that that wasn't the case. You know what? The devil does the same thing today. He comes to us and simply hands us a bloody coat. We take that bloody coat and we start assuming what it means. We interpret the evidence. And we end up giving up on promises from God. We end up letting go of things God is still doing because of misinterpreted evidence. I believe there's some people here tonight that you've been holding on to some bloody coats that have implied to you that the future is over with. It's implied to you that some loved ones you know that are lost are never going to be saved. It, it implies to you that some promises for ministry in your life are never going to come to pass because you're holding a bloody coat that seems to say it's dead. But I've come to tell you tonight in the Holy Ghost, it's not what it looks like. It's just the trick of the enemy to try to get you to let go and to give up on what God is doing and what God is going to complete because Paul says it like this he which hath begun a good work is able to complete I don't normally check my phone especially emails before I leave the platform if I have texts and especially right now as I wait for you to be dismissed and follow the procedure I, 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 I may sometimes at least see if anybody's texted me something I need to know but this morning I had gone and sat down as we began the dismissal process and Brother Isaac was up here and Brother Barr and we started I was asking about a couple of the guests that we had. They by chance knew anything about who they were. We were sitting there and we were talking about we, we got to somehow figure out 
in the midst of the circumstances and the guidelines that we are abiding by, how do we how do we still connect with guests and make sure we're doing our part? And almost immediately after we finished saying that and saying we needed to work on it, I picked up my phone and noticed I had a couple of emails and I opened my emails and I noticed there was one in there from Brother Ron Bray. Brother Bray signed up, registered for Sunday night services. And the gist of the email was, Pastor, I was noticing how many guests there were. And I believe there's a lot more to come. So we need to figure out how we can connect. So if you think there's a way for me to come on Sunday mornings and be able to sit on the platform to help with that process. Literally, we had the conversation. And basically, the email got sent while we were having the conversation. Oh, I, I guess maybe I need to accept the fact we're not trying to get just an emotional response, but I would like a response. I don't care. I don't care if I, 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 I don't want to discourage you. Of course, probably if I listen to some of you, you'd discourage me on this. But I, I, I hopefully I don't, some of you, maybe you are much more optimistic than this, but I, I call it what you want to call it. Hopefully you don't think I'm a doubter or unbeliever, but my personal feelings are we are going to be in these circumstances the way we are for a good while longer. In fact, I don't want to confess, but I'm not going to take the blame by what my one confession. There's a whole lot more going on than me. So it really is not going to surprise me at this point if we are in these similar processes several more months it's not going to surprise me at all and we can if we choose look at these circumstances and just decide we're going to stay in a survival mode or we can decide there is no period at the end of the book of Acts. There is no amen. And so if God did everything he did in the book of Acts under those circumstances, this little bit of challenge that we're in right now is nothing for God. I'm just going to go ahead. I've sort of said it, but I'm just, actually, I don't think I've said it quite this way. I believe that we can, in the next couple of months, see one of the greatest harvests we have ever seen as a church. I'm not just talking about a couple of people here and there getting the Holy Ghost. I believe that over the next couple of months, we can see a great 
harvest because there's no amen. And if he did it then, he can do it now. If he's done it before, he can do it again. And I don't know about you, I haven't always done it perfectly, but to the best of my ability, I've tried to get myself in position and be ready for when that time comes so that I can run and we can run our leg of the race. you to stand if you would please I understand and if you think it's any easier for me because I'm the preacher, I'm the pastor you are very wrong I'm going to challenge some of you right now forget about who's around you forget about who may be listening to you I challenge some of you in the Holy Ghost right now to start prophesying to some dry bones that are surrounding you. I challenge some of you. I don't mean generically. I don't mean in general. Oh, God. I'm talking about calling some things out. I'm talking about calling some things out that you know God has promised you that look like they are dead and very dry, that look like they are way beyond any possibility of ever happening, that you don't sit back and wait for God to say it, but you speak it. See, some of you, some of you are doing it, but a bunch of you aren't. And you know why a bunch of you aren't? Because you're not sitting there going, "Whoa, my God, I feel the Holy. Woo. Well, I feel the anointing." So I'm, you ain't feeling nothing. You're not feeling anything, so you're not saying anything. If Ezekiel had gone by what he felt, he would have never opened his mouth. And if he had never opened his mouth, there wouldn't have been a noise. And there wouldn't have been a shaking. And there wouldn't have been bone connected to bone and sinew on those bones. And those bones becoming living bones. It's not about what you feel right now. It's not about what you feel right now. It's about a declaration of the word of the Lord and the things that God has promised you and the things that you know God wants to do through you individually and the things that God wants to do through us collectively. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, let faith rise in this place tonight. Let faith rise in every home of every person that's watching right now. Let faith rise in the name of Jesus. I take dominion and authority tonight over every spirit of doubt and unbelief that wars against our minds in the name of Jesus. I take dominion and authority over every spirit of fear that tries to paralyze us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I command the bones to live. They may be very dry, but you're greater than very dry bones, God. You've got the power and the ability that no matter how dead something is, no matter how dead it looks, you have the ability to bring it back to life. Brother and Sister Glass, prophesy to College Park. Prophesy to that area. Command those bones to live. You young people that are a part of P7, just because there may not be school and it might be online, 
That doesn't mean G7 has to stop. That doesn't mean campus ministry has to stop. That doesn't mean souls being saved has to stop. In fact, what a great opportunity for God to get glory in the midst of the adversity.
leg is not getting himself into position before the baton gets handed to him everything falls apart and I believe that there are some of you that you are so close to a baton getting ready to be handed to you but if you wait until it happens you're going to miss the moment if you wait until you got all kind of evidence and confirmation you're going to miss the moment but if you will prepare and make up your mind I don't care what the distractions are I don't care what tries to get my attention. I am going to be positioned and ready. When the moment comes and it gets handed, you're going to run. And you're going to see things that you never imagined you four guys something enemy's got a target on all four of them all four of them because God put all four of you here now not to watch somebody else not to be a spectator and see what God does I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell all, all four of you what God's plan, what God's plan through all four of you is, is so big and so great. If he sat and told you right now every detail, you wouldn't believe it. I, I, I'm not, I don't say you wouldn't believe it as a criticism to you guys. I'm not saying it you wouldn't believe it because there's something wrong with you. I'm saying you wouldn't believe it because it's so big 
that you'd go, ah, no. Maybe, maybe, maybe him, maybe them. All four of you have been through struggles. All four of you have messed around with stuff the enemy's trying to get you caught up with. Because he knows if he doesn't interfere and stop what God wants to do through all four of you, you have been created by God to do some major damage to his kingdom. not just I, I, I think all four of you know me and I'm not just mouthing off to say something to sound good to you guys I'm telling you what I believe in the Holy Ghost God got stuff to do through you all four of you that he wants to do but you're going to have to make up your mind what matters the most you're going to have to make up your mind. Are you going to get in position and trust that it really is there? Or are you going to get distracted by what's going on around you? And when your moment comes to get the baton, you miss it. I'll say it again. There's not a one of us. I'm not trying to be dramatic here. There's not a one of us in this place tonight. I don't even I don't care if you're a guest and you've only been here one time or a couple of times. I'm saying I believe with all of my heart there's not one of us in this place. There's not one of you watching right now that's a part of this congregation that is here by accident. And you're not here just so you can get to heaven. You're here because before you were ever born, God decided, I need you there. I need you there at that point because I'm going to need you to run a part of the race that I've designed and equipped you to run. I really am trying to quit. Again, I think I've said this before when there's the pressure of everybody at once. It's, it's kind of challenging. I picked on you two weeks ago. Here we are again. I got a feeling. I don't, I'm just, just going based on what I feel. Some of this, I don't know that it's spiritual feeling as much as it may be my fleshly opinion because I think I might be able to relate a little bit. I don't know that you left West Point to do some of the things you do here five days a week. All right. I don't know that you left West Point in the path you were on there to come sit and do what you do on the computer here and help out from time to time with physical. I don't think that's why you left. You know what you're doing? You're getting in position. My wife said something to me last night. We were middle of, of, a, of a discussion she said in the context and the place she was saying it wasn't in public so she wasn't boasting or bragging and obviously she had no idea I'd say it and I had no plan of saying this but I feel like it applies to you she said I you don't know this and I didn't know this she said when I was 15 16 years old I she, we weren't in a relationship had nothing to do with me you don't know some of the things I did for your parents 
She said, I'd, I'd go in your dad's office. My dad had some ships and things in there. She said, I'd, I'd go in there with a Q-tip, cleaner, clean stuff in his office. I didn't know that. When I see her stand here, follow the Holy Ghost, begin to lead us in the presence of God, and see the other things that God does through her, I got a feeling at that point, that's not what she was looking to do. I know I told you a couple weeks ago in private, I said to you here in public, it's a process. But I'm going to tell you, I don't think you, I don't think I need to tell you, I think you already know this. But you didn't get out of West Point. God didn't bring you here to do what you do on a daily basis. Nothing wrong with that. Not saying, but there is more. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season, you shall reap if you don't quit. Hallelujah. Uh... Let me just go ahead and remind you of this. This is. This is. I know. You know, it. I, I, I'm, I don't know. I was going to say it's the grace of God. It's probably not. I shouldn't make it that spiritual. I know. I don't want to offend you. I may should just say it was luck. But the thought crossed my mind, as did many others. You didn't even need to pray about a theme for your church for this year. It was handed to you on a silver platter. 2020 vision. And I know of churches, no offense, I'm not criticized, I don't mean this, but man, they made a 2020 vision. And I know for a fact, there's not one person that had 2020 vision that had the vision what we've seen. Not one person was 2020 vision what we've been through the last couple of months. But I'm going to go back and redeclare. Because when I declared by the Holy Ghost this was the year of Jubilee, God knew COVID-19 would be here. God knew we'd be in the circumstances we're in. And it's still that year. We may not do it the way we expected. It may not happen the means by which we expected to see it. But I declare to this congregation again tonight, it is still the year of Jubilee. And God is still going to continue to do above and beyond what we think can be done. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I have no idea what all next weekend's going to hold and beyond that. I'm just telling you, I believe in the Holy Ghost. It's going to be important. It's going to be a key as a part of where we are and what God is going to do. So if you can be here Saturday night, great, but especially make sure you're here. If you're signed up for, uh, if you're not able to come Sunday mornings because of the limitations, but at least Sunday night, I'm encouraging you to be here because I believe God is going to do some great things. I believe we are going to hear clearly from the Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.